Good afternoon, and welcome to Spokane Public Radio's Northwest Arts Review, a half hour exploring the people, places, and events forming the rich arts tapestry we enjoy here in the inland Northwest and our wider Intermountain Northwest region. I'm Jim Tevenin, pleased to be your guide on this journey. Today we'll talk again with a great friend of KPBX, artist and person about the arts, Karen Mobley. Despite the lockdown, Karen has been quite busy and is preparing to share her labors in an exhibit opening soon. Another regional arts figure, the Art Spirit Gallery owner Blair Williams, is with us as well with a progress report on gallery repairs in the wake of a damaging flood in January. Dan Webster reviews a different kind of horror film, and will share a bit of Philip Glass's music from a great friend of our Piano Bench program, Melody Poehler. This is Northwest Arts Review. Good news on the arts front these days includes a new three-woman COVID-related show at Spokane's Terrain Gallery. We checked in with one of those women, Karen Mobley, whose work as artist, arts administrator, and arts champion is well known to us in the inland Northwest. As it turns out, Karen spent quite a bit of COVID time creating small works that she calls doodles. Karen, tell us a little bit about when the call came about this exhibit? We actually started talking about doing a show together in 2019. And the three of us, plus another artist, made a proposal to Terrain for the Terrain Gallery during their fall call for shows for 2020. And then the COVID shutdown came, and obviously things changed and things were Um, Some things were shut down. People's lives were kind of uprooted and changed. And our whole concept for our show, which was originally going to be about nostalgia, kind of got flipped on its head because of COVID-19. And we all started working on different work in a lot of ways for very personal reasons. I mean, we were all kind of shut down because of covid Rosemary started working on these sculptures that look sort of like dolls or reliquary objects in addition to her painting. They're very specifically related to COVID-19 and her um, emotional and spiritual reaction to the confinement. All of the sculptures that she's made for this show are sculptures of women, and they have very intricately designed attire, much of which ties back to the COVID itself. And I mean, I wouldn't have thought of this myself, but she makes COVID look rather glamorous um, (laughs) in that it's beaded and sewn into these outfits on the sculpture. And then Deb and I have both been working on new paintings. And Deb has several new paintings, as well as a, a piece that she's calling Layers, which is kind of a mixed media collage kind of thing that has a kind of palimpsest of different layers of imagery. The pieces that I'm showing are probably, I'm going to say, more the exercise of deciding that I was going to maintain my practice of making art, even though I was kind of hanging around the house wondering what was next. And so over the COVID shutdown, I did a large group of what I'm calling doodles, which are small paintings. They're mostly 9 by 12 
I started them about a year ago when we went into the COVID quarantine, and I've done over 100 of them since the beginning of March in 2020. So I'll be showing kind of the best of the doodles plus some larger oil paintings that are based on the doodles. And the oil paintings are like 30 by 40. They're quite brightly colored. Someone said to me the other day, well, these just seem like way too cheerful of things to be made during the COVID shutdown. And I thought, well, I don't know if they're cheerful, but I decided that I was going to stay very focused on that, which was observable. So a lot of the paintings have a bit of a reflection of landscape or the garden or some other aspect of nature. And then I gave myself a self-imposed rule, which was that I couldn't buy any new paint, but I was going to work with what I had, at least at the beginning, I was working with what I had until I pretty much diminished everything. But that forced me to start working with some colors that I don't normally use. So there's a lot more um, red and violet and orange in these pieces than probably anything I've made in the last 25 years. So they're quite brightly colored, and they're, I think, in some ways a little bit playful. You called the works doodles. Did you, from the beginning, intend them as sketches for larger pieces, or did that concept kind of evolve as you worked? I think the concept really evolved. When I started doing it, to be honest with you, I was like, well, all my shows are canceled. Everything was canceled at the beginning of 2020. So it's like, well, I'm not really working towards a specific goal. Why don't I just do sort of messing around? And I've always done a fair number of sketchbook drawings, and I'm not working so much in the office, but I used to do a lot of drawing on the the blotter next to my telephone. Hmm. Um, And these have that kind of playful, oh, I saw this thing or I had this idea and it kind of evolved out of there. Um, Certainly some of the doodles were way better than the other ones. And as, and that's of course kind of subjective because way better to me. Uh, The ones that I felt like were really strong and had good bones, good composition and good color contrast, I started then pulling out the what I thought were the better ones and looking at making them into more more refined paintings. In some ways, because they're looking at things up close, a lot of them feel a little abstract. They're not exactly color field, but they're they're fairly abstract and they're quite gestural, which is kind of fun. At least I think it's kind of fun to see a thing that came from a small watercolor sketch sort of, I mean, I'm not going to use the word blown up, but for the sake of understanding it, making it larger, mm-hmm. um, and hopefully trying to maintain sort of that sense of gesture and movement that comes from the smaller pieces. All right. And these uh, doodles, as you call them, they are watercolors. And I need to ask you a question. In your release, you say that they are paintings on Yupo and other papers. I must confess, I don't know what Yupo is. So begin with an explanation of that. Yupo or Yupo, I'm not sure how you say it, is a kind of paper that's very flat in its texture. And the watercolor painting stays very much on the surface as opposed to like a blotter paper or something where it would get sucked into the surface. Mm -hmm. 
So you get a, a real sense of the gesture and in some cases almost a little bit of a puddling of the watercolor because of the surface of the paper. I don't know how long it's existed as a paper. I never worked on it very much. I had some of it when we went into the COVID shutdown and I was like, well, I have all of this. I guess I'm going to start working on this material that I'm not very familiar with. And then I had some other watercolor paper and other things. Daryl Sullins was a friend of mine, and when he passed away, his daughter gave me a bunch of paper out of his studio, and I used quite a bit of that paper that I salvaged in working on these pieces. So um, they're all about the same size, and they all kind of use a fairly limited palette, and the surface of the paper is kind of important to how they came out mm-hmm. or how they came out looking like what they do. And how many of the doodles are there and how many of the, the larger format pieces are there of yours? I did over a hundred doodle paintings between March and now. And I think that a fairly large group of them will get installed and we're just going to put them up with magnets so that they're basically like a big unfolded sketchbook. Hmm. I don't know for sure how many of them are going to be up because we'll work on the installation. I think it will probably be close to 80 of them. And then the larger paintings, I think there'll be five. I have one I'm still thrashing with, and it might be ready, or I might decide I'm going to burn it. I'm not sure. Um, I've had a lot of trouble getting it to resolve, and without sounding like it's almost time for the show to open, and it'll still be wet if I don't get it figured out the next day or so. Well, let's let's hope that you don't decide to burn it. Uh, we want to, We definitely want to see it. The exhibition is called Rising Above. It features the art of Rosemary Burrell, Deb Sheldon, and our guest today, Karen Mobley, a great friend of us here at KPBX. We appreciate you and your work and your sharing about this exhibit, which opens on the 2nd of April, runs through the 1st of May at Terrain Gallery in the Washington Cracker Building on West Pacific Avenue in downtown Spokane. There's an artist reception on the 2nd. Is this a real one? This obviously would have to be socially distanced, but it's not going to be on Zoom? We'll be there in person from 5 to 8 p.m. on the first Friday. Um, And yes, we'll be following the the social distancing protocols and making sure that we're not overcrowding the space. People are welcome to come in person, and I may be wrong, but there's a lot of people I haven't seen for a while, so I'm expecting that we'll have a fairly generous crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if we're managing to do the social distancing, if a whole mob of people show up, they might have to wait a little bit to get in, but I think it should work out just fine. Thanks for sharing with us today, and uh, we look forward to the exhibit and look forward to more from you as the months go by. Great. Well, nice to hear from you, and thanks for calling to talk about the show. Rising Above, a response to COVID confinement by artists Rosemary Brill, Karen Mobley, and Deb Sheldon, will be at the Terrain Gallery from April 2nd through May 1st, with an artist's reception opening night from 5 to 8. More information is at terrainspokane.com.
Another great KPBX friend is North Idaho pianist and teacher Melody Puller. Not too long ago, Melody visited our studios for a piano bench program featuring the music of one of the most celebrated living American composers, Philip Glass. Now, Melody has recorded a set of Glass's etudes at her home base at the Sandpoint Music Conservatory. Here's a sample, Philip Glass's Etude Number 9. The Father is a frightening look at the kinds of horror that late-life ills can bring, says Dan Webster in this movie review. Horror comes in all forms, especially when portrayed in the movies. It can take the shape of monsters, whether vampires, great white sharks, or razor-fingered killers who haunt our dreams. It can embody threats posed by everything from the people who live next door to paranormal entities that inhabit creepy dolls. It can be as literal as Frankenstein's monster or as ephemeral as the mere feeling that an unseen somebody or something is haunting our every move. In his movie, The Father, French-born writer-director Florian Zeller explores a different kind of horror, one closely tied to aging. 
and to what can happen when your mind begins to lose its ability to comprehend reality. Zeller has based his movie on his own stage play, originally titled Le Père, which premiered in 2012 in Paris and which won the 2014 Moliere Award for Best Play. It has since been translated into English with productions both in London and New York and adapted by Zeller into a 2015 French language film titled Floride. Now Zeller has adapted his play for English speaking audiences, casting Oscar veterans Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman in central roles. And the result is stunning, maybe as good a portrayal of the damage caused by syndromes that affect an elderly mind as has ever been filmed. Curiously enough, the father starts off seemingly as a study of simple family conflict. Coleman plays Anne, a middle-aged woman who, walking determinedly, arrives at what appears to be her father's London apartment, which, being Brits, they both refer to as a flat. Seems he, his name is Anthony, has been rude to another caregiver that Anne has hired, causing her to quit, and now working woman Anne is at wit's end. In short order, Zeller progresses from family conflict to family dysfunction. The two characters clearly have long-standing issues. Anthony insists that he is fine, that he doesn't need help, and that he is suspicious of Anne's motives. For her part, Anne alternates between the role of devoted daughter and that of a frustrated woman wanting to be free to live her own life, yet not free of the guilt that comes with that understandable desire. Then gradually, the story evolves even further. Same with the set design, and more important, the characters, all except for Anthony, whose perspective Zeller swerves away from, but continually returns us to, it being both the anchor for what unfolds and the mirror for the confusion that we experience with him. I don't want to give away too much because a lot of the effectiveness of the father comes from rolling with the changes that Zeller throws at us. In terms of character, those shifts involve not just Coleman's Anne, but all those played by the actresses Olivia Williams and Imogene Poots, as well as both co-stars Rufus Sewell and Mark Gaddis. The acting across the board is superb, which you would expect from a first-rate British cast, including the two Oscar winners, Coleman and Hopkins. Both of them have been nominated yet again, Coleman this time for supporting actress, Hopkins his fourth time as best actor, along with two nods in the supporting category. Coleman shows the same versatility she displayed in 2018's The Favorite, when she won her statuette by portraying a haughty, needy British Queen Anne. Here she has the unenviable task of playing a woman caught between filial duty and personal desire, tied to a man whom she clearly adores, but who verbally abuses her without a second thought. And that's when he even remembers who she is. Even worse, Anthony seldom stops referring to the mysteriously missing other daughter whom he clearly favors. As for Hopkins, despite all his past achievements, this arguably is the best performance of his film career. As actor after actor have proven, it's not easy to play someone with a mental and or emotional affliction, to do so at least and still make the character worthy of our sympathy. And if Coleman faces a daunting acting task, consider what Hopkins is required to play. A man who in one moment is strong and willful, in another confused and hesitant, and still another playful and flirty, while in the end desperate, desolate, and like a child cast alone into darkness. That's the kind of horror that the father explores. 
the existential angst that comes with the realization that we humans are little more than our memories. When those begin to fade, so does our very sense of self. And nothing, not even a horde of ravenous zombies, could match the terror that's likely to accompany that most profound and primal kind of loss. For Spokane Public Radio, I'm Dan Webster. Dan Webster writes about movies and more for Spokane7.com and hosts Spokane Public Radio's Movies 101, heard Friday evenings at 6.30 here on KPBX, the very station that brings you this program, Northwest Arts Review. These have been hectic times around the Art Spirit Gallery in Coeur d'Alene, and for all the wrong reasons. We reported in January about a destructive flood caused by a water leak that threatened especially the extensive basement collection of art at the gallery. We checked in this week with Art Spirit owner Blair Williams about final damage reports and progress toward reopening. Where we are currently is um, all 2,000-plus pieces in the gallery have been assessed by a restoration company out of Portland. We assessed all of the pieces and discovered that roughly 520-plus pieces had been affected, and I air quote that, by the water. Now, of those 522 pieces, I'm proud to say roughly 12 pieces were a total loss. Mm. We think out of 2,000-plus pieces, that's a pretty good number. That's pretty good. Yeah, we're, we're very proud of ourselves. <laughs> and for those who are not familiar with the gallery, there are rotating exhibits through the year, of course, but it's a little bit like an iceberg because most of it is <laughs> below. There is the, uh, the world-famous basement of the Art Spirit Gallery <laughs> where most of your collection is. I don't know if housed is the, the right word, but that's where it is. And so it was it <laughs> uh, literally the sitting duck in this particular scenario. But it's very good news that there's such a, a l- small percentage that has been terminally affected. So um, Exactly. What is the progress in terms of the gallery itself and when you are projecting actually being able to move back in? Well, uh, let me just say the past five weeks, six weeks have been um, an awful lot of choreography, whether it be choreographing the assessment of the pieces or choreographing the different contractors to come in. Uh, As of a week ago yesterday, we, uh, as a staff, exited the gallery and relocated our office to an off-site location in order that two-thirds of the main hickory floors are being torn out and replaced. And so we are off-site. Prior to that, however, it meant that we needed to move a lot of artwork many times. So currently those works that were affected are in a temperature-controlled, very safe location off-site, And then the remaining pieces that were in the basement have been relocated into the upper gallery so that the basement can be completely empty. We have replaced sheetrock, we've repainted, and we are rebuilding fixtures so that we can restock that inventory once we return. We are right now about four or five weeks out from being able to return to the gallery. We are currently on track to reopen for Art Walk in May, which will be on Friday, May 14th, from 5 to 8 p.m. And we're just working hard behind the scenes. We've been very fortunate that we are still an art gallery. 
we still have a number of followers from all over the, the world who have continued to buy pieces online for whom we've been able to work with a number of clients to develop commission work. That's something we're doing behind the scenes always, and so we've done that. And we are still working with our artists to make sure that we get their works in on time for the upcoming shows, to get them photographed, et cetera, and um, planning our shows for 2022. We're also, I'm actually uh, right now in, in a meeting as we are planning in 2022 will be the Art Spirit Gallery's 25th anniversary, mm. and we are in the midst of planning special features for that year as well. 25 years, eh? Uh, I can remember when yeah. the gallery <laughs> opened, and it just somehow doesn't seem quite that long ago, but never <laughs> mind, the calendar does not lie. It well, does not. It does not. To uh, the point that you made about our fabulous basement, you know, it's interesting to know uh, the behind the scenes of, of a gallery like ours. 60% of our sales come out of that magical place every month. So while we pride ourselves on the curation and the beautiful shows that we put together, we also are quite proud of our followers and how they um, they are drawn to that space uh, or the artwork online, and we're able to continue to represent work, whether it's on our walls or not. In this time, granted, it was limited access that was there for the gallery, for visitors. Since that's been taken yeah. away, you have branched out and Place art in some interesting places, including the new music conservatory. Tell us about how that yes. how that happened. Well, you know, these are relationships that we have um, always. We we try to spread ourselves throughout the arts community and stay connected as best we can. Uh, in fact, a few years ago, almost five years ago, I took part in a change leaders program with the Idaho Commission on the Arts, along with the director founder of the conservatory in Sandpoint. And so that's how I was able to stay connected when the conservatory was beginning to build here. Uh, and they reached out and asked if we would like to uh, use some of their wall space and some of their building space as they knew that we were closed. So we were very honored. Um, so we've done that. We also have artwork at Live for Blue this month. And as always, every month we have a show hanging at Sotheby's in the gallery that they've built for us. All right, very nice. And, of course, you have an online presence as well. What's up online right about now? Well, this would have been our March show featuring artwork by um, the artist Pat Seiler, Matt Rude, and Chris Bivens. And so that show is currently online, along with another show that we have hanging over at Gonzaga Law School featuring work by Shelley Lindholm. Very good. Well, art is alive and moving in the city of Coeur d'Alene <laughs> and in the Art Spirit Thank Gallery, you. albeit uh, um, in just a spiritual sense in the actual gallery. Yes. <laughs> but yes, the, the spirit of art is alive. <laughs> all right. And uh, we are anticipating then uh, being able to return to the gallery in May. So that's that's all very good news. Blair Williams, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for taking a bit of time to fill us in on progress, and we wish you and all your folks there at the gallery all the best. Thank you, and thank you all for your continued support. Uh, it is what keeps our tanks full. Have a great day. Learn more at the gallery website, theartspiritgallery.com. Thanks for listening to Northwest Arts Review. I'm Jim Tevenin. 
We're grateful today for the contributions of Karen Mobley, Melody Puller, Blair Williams, and Dan Webster. Thanks as well to the Sandpoint Conservatory's sound recordist, John Fitzgerald. Please join us again next week for another Northwest Arts Review on Spokane Public Radio.